This is the English Heritage Podcast. Hello and welcome back to your weekly podcast into England's past. I'm Charles Rowe and this week we're marking the start of Black History Month with an episode in which the past meets poetry. All this month, English Heritage is co-curating a project with poet-in-residence Jacob Samler Rose in which African-Caribbean poets have been asked to write poetry inspired by the stories of English heritage sites or their experiences of visiting them. To discuss what this means in more detail, I'm joined by Creative Programme Manager Caroline Moore. Thanks for having us. It's really great to be here. English Heritage's poet-in-residence Jacob Samler Rose. Hello, thanks for having us. And fellow poet... Esme Allman. Hello. Thank you all for coming on the podcast. Uh, let's start with Caroline first. So what is English Heritage's creative programme and what does your role involve? The creative programme is English Heritage's National Strands of Arts programming, which engages with the National Heritage Collection. We want to use arts to provide opportunities for the public to share, explore and enjoy English heritage sites and collections in new and creative ways. As creative programme manager, my role is to work with artists like Jacob and Esme and colleagues across English Heritage to identify stories and also support artists to form and develop work in response to those stories. And of course, English Heritage's slogan is step into England's story and storytelling is, is a key thing of what we do here on the podcast as well. So tell us a bit more about the name and concept of this particular poetry project. The project is called Untold Stories, Poems for English Heritage, and it is going to be using poems to foreground the presence of or actually examine the absence of African-Caribbean people at English heritage sites through both historic and contemporary lenses. Through Poetry wants to give audiences the chance to think about our sites from perspectives that haven't necessarily been previously highlighted, but also, and really importantly, to highlight the stories that aren't often told. And I suppose that ties in quite nicely with the fact that we have Black History Month and we can explore that. Absolutely. So Black History Month is a really great initiative, which has been really important in raising awareness about black history. And I think it's also had a huge part to play in recognising that more historical research into this area needs to be done. Mm. We're really glad to be able to undertake this programme during Black History Month, but we're also really committed to telling the stories of black histories at our sites all year round as well. And there's that word again, stories, but uh, we're not doing short stories, we're not doing plays, we're doing poetry. Um, Why was poetry selected as the creative medium of choice for this project? Poetry has played a really important role in England's history. As a tradition, it reaches back hundreds of years and always has been a way for writers to explore their feelings about England. and, And we see this in the poems of Shakespeare and Wordsworth and many others. Poetry is also a really powerful medium that we can use to reflect and question and to convey emotion and to to tell stories again. And so we can also engage with poetry on so many levels, from listening to a poet perform to writing our own poetry. And when we write our own poetry, I think we set new narratives. So it's the perfect art form to engage audiences in untold stories. Mm. What would you like to achieve with this project overall? We want our audiences to enjoy exciting contemporary poetry inspired by our sites and also to have the opportunity to get involved and and write poetry themselves. Jacob, your English Heritage's poet-in-residence, I understand you've already been writing some poetry inspired by English Heritage sites, but how long have you been writing poetry? (laughs) I've been writing poetry for a very long time now. Most of my life, I would say. 
professionally for a good maybe 20 years or so plus. And what inspired you to become a poet and what is it that you like about the medium? I love language. I love how it is that we press sounds into shapes to convey our ideas and our thinking. And I also really love the idea of exchange. A lot of the work I've done as a poet hasn't just been about my own poetry. It's been about creating spaces for other people and about all the good things that happen when we encourage people to really think about what it is that they're saying, but also to give them a space in which they can be heard. And do you think that modern day poetry has evolved? I think what's really interesting is that poetry is always with us. So there have been these various different headlines across the ages proclaiming that poetry is dead or poetry is over or, you know, whatever. But poetry is never really dying. It's always just transforming. Poetry evolves almost the same way that language does. So, yeah, there's a really interesting sense of democratization in poetry at the moment. You know, you can see that evidenced in the way that poetry has found a place on social media. But it's also important to acknowledge that there is no one poetry. There are just these different branches from the same tree. Your English heritage is poet in residence. So how did you get that role and what does the role involve? The role was really an invitation and it was an invitation that I was really keen to take up on. You know, primarily it's about engaging with English Heritage as an organization, what that organization represents, but also the sites, obviously, and engaging with those sites through poetry, getting into the history, getting into the narratives, uncovering things, researching, responding, just trying to really get a sense and get a taste and get a feel for some of the stories and the narratives and the ideas that spark and speak to me. It's also about working with Caroline to put in place some sense of the work beyond the writing that I might be doing. So opportunities to engage with other poets, whether they're established or emerging, and opportunities for members of the public to get involved with the work as well. You mentioned poets plural there. How many poets have been asked to get involved in this particular project with English Heritage? Yeah, so we're working with uh, five poets other than myself, six in total. And it's a really beautiful spread of voices. So we have Jay Bernard, Nia Parks, Malika Booker, Safia Kinshasa, and of course, Esme Ullman. And we'll be speaking to her a little bit later. Has history been a source of inspiration in your poetry before, or is this new territory for you? I wouldn't say new. I mean, again, the amount of time that I've been writing, I've, I've written about a range of different topics, themes, subjects, and there have been a range of different starting points for the work that I've done. So yeah, I mean, in terms of contemporary history, there's a poem that I wrote titled Speechless that travels from Guyana in the 40s to the 80s and 90s in London before ending in the present day. I've also been commissioned to write and produce work for the 2007 bicentenary of the Abolition of the Slave Trade Act. There's like other work that I've done that's responded to historical events or sites of historical significance. So I would not call myself a historian. I am most definitely a poet. But um, the notion of responding to history is, yeah, it's, it's not something that's new to me. What got you interested in this opportunity to write about English heritage sites and their stories then, bearing in mind that you're not a historian? <laughs> yeah, it's, for me, it's really about the opportunity to take a look at the sites that contribute to the fabric of the country's history. And also an opportunity to dig deeper into the characters and narratives that those sites play host to. 
to challenge some of the givens, challenge whatever it is that we consider quintessential English identity to be. I'm also really interested in the notion of time and how it is that we look back to ages past and try to imagine what it might have been like to be present in those past times, how we negotiate and appreciate the distance between then and now. I keep returning to the idea of this English heritage site, Pierce Bridge, which is um, a Roman bridge that now sits in a field. It was a bridge that obviously at one time in its past, in its day, spanned a river. But now that river, it, the course of that river has changed. So it's just this bridge kind of adrift in a field. And there, there are aspects of time and the passing of time like that that really fascinate me. Yeah, that is a really interesting and strong image, actually, almost like a marooned bridge between the present and the past, in a way, this lost, this lost past. Um, hey, I'm going to have to get you into uh, some poetry workshops, my friend. <laughs> well, Caroline, I want to bring you back in again. What sites have the poets chosen to visit as part of this project? Some poets have chosen iconic and better known sites like Deal Castle and Down House in the southeast, Richmond Castle in North Yorkshire, and Whitley Court in the Midlands, but others have chosen more hidden gems such as St Augustine's Abbey in Canterbury, the Cold War Bunker in York and Apple Durkham in the Isle of Wight. So a bit of a mix of the north and south there. And why and how were these particular sites chosen? We wanted first and foremost for the artists to feel connected to them and to resonate with them in some way. But we also, as you kind of alluded to, wanted a bit of a geographic spread as well. So we gave this brief to Jacob, who had the final say on what sites were selected, and then the other commissioned poets selected from from his list. Okay, and you handed over the homework, as it were, and said, right, go and be inspired. But what was the creative brief? I mean, you can't really tell a poet what to do and how to be inspired, I suppose. But did you give them any particular instructions? We did. So we gave them three possible options to respond to, but we also encouraged them to consider alternative approaches. It's really important that you, as you say, don't tell artists what to do, but kind of give them, I guess, the creativity of constraints. So the first approach we offered was around the historical record and we invited them to explore or respond to the story of black people or communities at a specific site. The second, we invited them to engage with fictional or overlooked figures or experiences and use the power of invention to explore or imagine a past or an alternative history on the documented past, which would highlight missing black histories. And then the final approach was a much more personal approach. And we asked them to look at their own contemporary perspective of visiting an English heritage site where the representation of African Caribbean people is limited or deficient and where we know we have a lot of work to do to tell the stories of black history much better than we have at the moment. Let's bring in Esme now as one of the emerging poets involved in this project. You're one of several taking part. What got you interested in the project? There are a couple of things that interested me in working on this project. So first and foremost, I will say that any opportunity to work with Jacob is one that I am excited about. I really appreciate his facilitation and mentoring style. I think Jacob has a way to, of, and I don't know, working and unearthing the meaning behind, I would say my poetry from personal experience, but I've also watched him work with other people. And um, yeah, I thought it would be a really good opportunity to write something with also the interest in history that I have. I studied history for my undergraduate degree, not in England, unfortunately, in Scotland. 
but I'm always interested in, in writing around and writing into history and using poetry as a form for that. Yeah, that's really interesting. I understand you've already visited Deal Castle in Kent. When did you go there and what were your first impressions? So I went to Deal a few weekends ago now. Deal's an interesting building, so we um, we struggled to find the entrance. So I went with my partner and so we ended up walking around the building. And I would say at first it seems to be quite a deceptive building. It seems a lot smaller from the outside than it is when you go in. And it feels like a building that expands once you rummage around a bit and, yeah, just get to explore. There was definitely a slightly stressful moment when we'd been in the castle, probably for about two hours, and were very hungry and couldn't find our way to the exit. Now, that's interesting because obviously we've been there on the podcast as well and you can get a little bit disorientated, especially if you were somebody who was trying to attack and you're going round and round in circles through all these different bastions and turrets. Mm. Um, and of course, there are so many different levels. Of course, one of the levels being well below street level. I can imagine <laughs> how you struggled there. And I suppose the tea shop wasn't open. Unfortunately, no. With COVID, we've, uh, when we entered the building, we had all of our masks on. So actually, we tried to stick outside as long as possible just so we could breathe easily um, and just get a bit of space as it was quite busy. It's busier than I expected it to be. Right. But so generally in speaking for your first impressions, quite a sort of austere, almost TARDIS-like space, mm. but massive once you get inside. And once you do get inside, almost like a labyrinth as well. Mm. Yeah. And has that come across in your, in your poetry uh, as you've put pen to paper? I think something that's come across whilst I was writing is more so the people we encountered there that day. Like I said, I was quite shocked to see so many people there and kind of hanging around outside and, and watching other visitors interact with the space was something that was interesting. And passing them later on in the day in the corridors and, and through the different rooms um, in the different areas of, uh, of Deal Castle, yeah, which has become a slight point of fixation in the early stages of writing this poem. Mm. But mm. were there any other challenges or difficulties in, in writing black history into a space like Deal Castle, which, let's face it, was a Henry VIII project? So quite, there's quite a distance between you know, the two cultures colliding there. When I first got there, I, I stood at the front for a bit and just, and just kind of looked at the building and tried to feel out the space and what it meant for me to stand in a, in a space like that right now, today. Um, and I couldn't avoid feeling feeling something quite heavy that I couldn't quite externalise, I could just feel. I was thinking about this question, this notion of, of where is the black history in this space? Can I point to it? Can I feel it? Is it tangible? And that question, the kind of more I spoke to people about it, the more that I felt that that, that notion was becoming quite useless to me. And I was speaking to a friend, Jade Bentil, so she's a PhD student up in Oxford doing a history, doing black British history specifically. And I said to her, you know, um, I'm really struggling to look at this space from through a black lens. I don't, I don't even know what that means. And she was chatting to me about the fact that, you know, it's not a case of being inclusive or diverse um, and trying to include black people in this space. It's, it's the fact that they're foundational to what that space is, to what it means. Dill Castle kind of represents a, a lineage in English nas nationalism in this kind of protection of a border and you can see Calais right out if you look to your right um, and then if you look to your left you know it's a perfectly pleasant boardwalk but it was very interesting 
thinking and questioning that afterwards about you know what other challenges or difficulties it's that that we're there just maybe not necessarily in sights but in feeling mm. so in some respects do you feel like this whole project has been a challenge in that you're trying to connect english white history with british black history or english black history and there's a bit of a challenge in getting those two to mesh i think it might not necessarily be a case of of a binary of black and white history but you know if we're looking at a, a tudor project and we're looking at the history that that comes through from from the 1500s right up until the kind of late 19th century early 20th century we're, we're looking at a colonial and an imperial project you know we're on the edge of the water we're, we're looking at where these boats would engage in warfare with other European countries over places and territories as they were as property that existed uh, off the British, off the European shores. And it felt like it was a place that simultaneously hid that and also brought that home, as it were. So almost like a a point where you look out into the world, being Mm. on the coast there, and and seeing the rest of the ocean and whatever's beyond it as, as yours to explore and potentially exploit. Mm. How do you go through the process then of visiting a site and then writing poetry about it? Do you have your pen and pad with you while you're walking around or do you just sort of absorb it all into your mind and and then go home and then have a sleep and then write something or how, how does it work? For this particular project, uh, I brought my partner along with me as a, as a writing tactic <laughs> to develop the poem because I'm, I'm quite chatty and so keeping all of the thoughts in my head and on a page without having anyone to respond to or to go back and forth with is always quite difficult for me. So we we walked through the space and had moments of quiet where we observed and we saw and then kind of moments where conversation erupted from both of us. And, you know, did you did you feel that? Did you see that? Did you think that? What do you feel about this particular thing here? Do you want to go this way? Would you like to go upstairs or downstairs? Which feels quite basic. But it was all really important. And then after leaving the space and actually just taking in the town around the castle itself, so just wandering around Deal and just trying to place yourself there for a bit, you know, we went home and and I then decided to go and read as much as possible, uh, read the other commissioned poets, because there is absolutely a desire to be in conversation with their work, even if it's not surrounding this specific project and what they make. I think it's always important to, uh, yeah, to keep, we're always in conversation with each other, to keep up that conversation, you know, a kind of action and reaction that will happen amongst artists, amongst other poets as well. Well, speaking of other poets, well, we can bring Jacob back into the conversation. You're one of the poets, uh, the lead poet, we could say. What English heritage sites have you been focusing on? Esme's been looking at Deal, as well as some other places, but what have you been focusing on? Yeah, so, you know, it's kind of, early days for me i had the initial joy of looking through the list of sites and getting a sense of which sites spoke to me that i could then open up as a list to offer to the rest of the poets who'd be involved and a lot of the work that i've been doing since has been about taking a bit of a step back and creating the the space for those other poets to step forward into and take some of these sites on so all of the sites that have been listed thus far are sites that I had an original interest in. I referenced Piercebridge earlier. J.W. Evans Silver Factory in Birmingham is a fascinating, fascinating site that I may not be able to get 
myself into for this particular part of the residency, but I look forward to taking on at some point later. York Cold War Bunker, again, fascinating site in terms of a site that's captured in time and captures a sense of a particular era that we are, again, to a certain extent removed from although aspects of that era still remain till now. Mm -hmm. I guess the site that is at the forefront of my mind for this particular phase of the project is St. Augustine's in Canterbury. Again, Caroline referenced that earlier. But again, the, the, the notion of that site and how it speaks to me is not necessarily about the site itself. There is something about the site, yes, but it's also about a character associated with that site. So what's your creative process then writing poems for all these sites my creative process is one of immersion really i mean it's an interesting challenge as it exists now trying to take on these sites because obviously not all of us can get to the sites that we'd like to be able to access travel is more difficult and some of the access is a little more limited than it normally would be but yeah, typically my creative process would be immersion, experiencing the site as best I can, but also taking on as much historical reference and research as I can, trying to get to know that space from as many different angles as possible. So again, kind of building up almost, you know, you see it in um, in reconstructions of some... Um, in films where you see them reconstructing sites and I know that there, there are also English heritage projects that have kind of brought sites to life ruins and and old remains of sites they've been brought back to life through kind of 3d representation and whatnot and I guess there's a part of my creative process that is very much about doing that except through language and mm -hmm. through ideas and through the thinking and through all the reference materials that I can absorb and put my hands on so literally taking inspiration from a multiplicity of sources and then letting it just sort of sit and ferment in your mind and then eventually get it all out on paper. Very much so. I mean, it's interesting. You've referenced the notion of paper a number of times. Although I've been writing for a fair while and I feel that there's a reference made to the uh, to the age and the, 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 the amount of time that I've been writing, I am a poet of a new generation in the sense that I do, I do appreciate a, a good bit of technology. So a lot of my writing happens these days straight into a screen whether that is with a stylus on a on a tablet or even just typing straight in but yeah very much it is about looking for those sparks those connections those ideas that rub up against each other and and start to sing in some way okay so you've got your stylus out your ipad or or, or your you know laptop or whatever it is you're the word processing poet how how long does it take <laughs> to get a first draft down the notion of how long it takes to get a first draft down is one of those questions that can be answered with, uh, you know, how long is a piece of string? There are poems that are born almost fully formed. And there are other poems that take a fair amount of time before you really grapple with that or before you really can get a sense of what that complete first draft might actually look like so yeah it varies from site to site from poem to poem from idea to idea it, it's very much dependent on what it is that you're grappling with and what it is that you're engaging with okay well, let's go from inspiration to evocation and um, we'll hear one of your poems which i believe is entitled what it means to be yeah there are a range of english heritage sites here there are a few locations that aren't necessarily English sites referenced in this poem, but again, they're 
there are English sites. Part of this was about engaging with the notion, again, of Englishness, what it means to be, as in what it means to be English, perhaps, to mm. question that, to interrogate that, to lean into that notion. Well, if you want to take it away. What it means to be. At deal, you pace the walls. Try on a 16th century mistrust of an open horizon. Imagine yourself responsible for the island's southern flank. As you return to now, the waves continue landing one after the next. At Boscobel, you wonder, if you stand amongst the oak and spread your toes and lay down roots, who might challenge your credentials? At Machelny, you walk amongst the ghost of things, the parch marks in the grass and all their whispers. The river ooze still speaks directly to the Ure. Go on, you say. You're listening. And they babble something back and forth about the comfort of old beds and how a river's business lies in moving on. It's not so much what it might be, this Englishness, but where within it you might belong. Even in this fractured time, you try your luck with all the old touchstones, tea and Dover, chippies, rain, and all the seasons, and go on until you arrive on the threshold of your own sovereign inquiry, like Janus, looking forward and behind, all that's gone before, a careworn prayer passed down and shuttled through the fingers, the future like a temple to carry that prayer into. Thank you very much. There's some really strong imagery in there, and I particularly like the reference to Janus or Janus, the, the Roman god of new beginnings, time and duality, who's often depicted looking both to the past and the future. With that in mind, when we listen to that, there appears to be this message of hope in there and reconciling with the past. Would I be on the right lines? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And I mean, again, as I was writing this poem, I was very much aware of, uh, I use the word, the fracturing of things. Um, I'm very much aware of some of the tensions of our present day and this current time. And I would like to be able to put forward some sense of belief or put some words towards the notion of an alternative future. Jacob has been talking about his process, some of his inspirations. How is your writing going with this project, Esme? I think trying to put my feelings towards Steel Castle in a separate pile rather from what the building conjured for me is a bit of a challenge at the moment, but it has brought up quite a lot of thinking I'm excited to kind of work through. Do you have any uh, extracts you can share with us at this stage? I do. I have a sentence or two for you that okay. I can offer. Yeah, go ahead. The little girl wishes a wonderland into a horizon dotted with battleships. It's a game in a language that will eventually fail us. She doesn't know that yet. It's just play, after all. So you're sort of speaking through the eyes of a child in a way. Mm-hmm. And is that how you felt as you were walking around? This is very new to you that it was slightly alien, everything's really big. I think, like I was saying at the beginning, the kind of there was a sense of discovery of the space and a, a sense of rummaging around that did have a childlikeness to it. But there were also a lot of families there, so lots of parents with their kids. 
and watching them interact with the space and watching their parents trying to kind of negotiate that interaction, that imaginary world that they welcomed with their kids mm. uh, was really interesting. Well, thanks for sharing that. We're looking forward to hearing the rest of it once you uh, get it all down. So we've heard how these works of poetry are produced. Caroline, you've heard some of these works. Can you tell us how this project is being rolled out across English heritage sites and how we can experience these poems and where? Absolutely. So the the programme's taking place exclusively online, so it's all digital. So the poems will all be available in a digital anthology eventually in the winter. But we're also launching a competition on National Poetry Day today, the 1st of October, which will invite both adults and children to write their own poetry inspired by our theme of untold stories. And the winner actually of each category will have their poem printed alongside the commissioned poets in the anthology. Jacob's also going to be running a number of online poetry workshops for English Heritage members, so look out for more details about those in the newsletter. And also we're working with uh, Shout Out Loud, English Heritage's national youth engagement programme to run a series of workshops led by Forward Prize shortlisted poet Malika Booker for poets aged 18 to 25. And these are being led in collaboration with a number of really fantastic poetry organisations, including Barbican Young Poets, Artful Scribe and Writing Squad. The last thing that we're doing is hosting a panel discussion in early November, which will explore the power that poetry has to instigate change in our society. So the audience can attend on Zoom or watch again on English Heritage's YouTube channel at a later date. And then lastly, there'll be opportunities for school teachers to get involved in a CPD, but also a resource which will use poetry to explore this idea of Englishness and, and how, we, how we have challenging conversations around black history in the classroom. This is more of a question for Jacob and Esme, but um, why do you both think it's important for English Heritage to explore these perspectives of its sites from visitors who identify as black? I think that the potential meanings of the word visitors are really interesting to explore there, but perhaps that's another, a th- another thread of thought. It's a matter of not just saying, hey, there is a way in which English history is, is made up from aspects of different cultures. This opportunity to explore these different perspectives is an opportunity for reflection, for remembering that we should never take anything for granted, that there is always more to know, that there are always hidden stories, and those stories are hidden for a range of different reasons, and that it's important to, at times, interrogate what those reasons are. Did you have any particular thoughts, Esme, on what it's like as someone who identifies as black to explore perspectives at English heritage sites? Hmm. I think I'm going off of what Jacob was saying. He was talking about it being a reflection. And I think for me, it's more useful to frame it as a, as a reckoning. Black people are kind of, we're seeing at the moment, are, are a catalyst for change. Protesting out, we've seen the rise of Black Lives Matter which is really interesting. So to be a black visitor, to be a black person engaging in this space could present not only a reckoning, but such a wide variety of possibilities of what English heritage spaces could become, you know, after doing the work that that Caroline was talking about, that she feels the organisation and the sites need to do. Caroline, how many sites have an historic African-Caribbean association with them? That's a really difficult question to answer, not actually one that we know 
the answer to, but we do know that several sites where there are African or African-Caribbean heritage were present. So Jacob alluded earlier to Hadrian, an 8th century abbot from North Africa, who served at St. Augustine's Priory in Canterbury. But also a number of our sites, around 26 of them have been identified so far, have have direct connections with transatlantic slavery. So some of these in con- connections include properties built from the profits of plantations that used enslaved labour. But there are also more subtle connections. It might, for instance, be that a site houses an object which was made with wood that was grown and logged by enslaved people. Mm. What work is English Heritage doing to make these sites more relevant to the African Caribbean community? We're obviously doing this poetry project, but are there other things going on? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important that there is. So English Heritage has the mission of managing the National Heritage Collection for everyone. And we know that if you don't see yourself represented at sites, then you are much less likely to go there. So it's it's really important that we're doing this work. We're working on a number of projects which focus on black histories, which are led by African Caribbean artists to ensure that the story of England that our children inherit is one that is truly representative of our history and also our society as it is. As part of our work to tell England's story in full, colleagues across English Heritage are also working on stories connected to black history, including transatlantic slavery and and researching those in more depth. So in the creative programme, we're working with African Caribbean artists and community groups to interpret and make creative responses to our sites. For example, we're working with the National Youth Theatre on a theatre project at Porchester Castle, which will open in 2021, which has been inspired by the stories of black Caribbean prisoners of war held there in the 18th century. Right. OK. Why are creative projects such as this important? They're really important. Art is such a powerful medium that enables people to engage with and reflect on stories from so many different perspectives. It also, art allows us to explore our own personal and emotional responses to heritage. And we want people to use art to find their place in England's story and discover and share what heritage means to them on a personal level. Lastly, to Esme and Jacob, what are you both working on next? And what do you think you'll be taking away from this experience from working on this project? Yeah, I have a range of different projects that I will be leaning into. And again, kind of spanning the range between facilitation projects, creating spaces for young writers. We have the new season of Barbican Young Poets that will be kicking off early in 2021, which is a shift from our regular end of the year kind of seasonal programming. But also myself, I have a long running body of work that is very much about generative text, which is kind of nerdy and geeky and techno driven and whatnot. But it's essentially about how we can use new technology as tools for furthering creative practice. And Esme? So as well as being a poet, I'm also a theatre maker and a facilitator. So any opportunity to create projects that write around, that write into history is something that I run at quickly. So I think it will be a case of just going and after this commission, just spending some time reflecting and seeing actually how I want to tackle history and actually which specific periods and, and whether or not it's writing people into history or whether it's looking at the possibility of these spaces, of these historical spaces, which I'm excited to bring forward. You've been listening to the English Heritage Podcast. 
Next time, we'll be celebrating London's black history by discovering the stories behind a number of English heritage blue plaques across the capital. On her death, she left 2,500. This is the magic of Mary Seacole. The mystery just deepens the further you go into her life. She's absolutely fascinating. Thanks for listening. See you next time.